0: Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full time rancher, having a down to earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson.
1: All right, now over here, of course, is, is the land of Israel and the Mediterranean Sea coast coming along under what is present day Turkey, or which in New Testament days was called Asia Minor there on the west coast of present-day Turkey is still the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus from which Paul almost I think had to flee for his life because remember in one point he refers to the beasts at Ephesus well he wasn't talking about the beasts in the Colosseum he was just talking about the population in general that had been so pagan and in their fervor for Diana the goddess of the Ephesians, he literally, I think, fled for his life. Well, up here is Troas, as we were speaking of it several programs ago, the ancient city of Troy, where he had hoped to meet Titus, who had been down ministering at Corinth. Now remember, all these churches were founded in his first missionary journey, and this is his second. All right, so he missed Titus, meeting him at Troas, and so he goes on up to Philippi, up here in northern Greece, where he was evidently on his sickbed nigh unto death. And then, of course, in time after he got well, he made his way on down and then finally visited Corinth a second time. All right, now that's the backdrop for these next few verses, when he was evidently almost despairing of his life because of his tremendous sickness. All right, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. But he says, we have this treasure. Now, remember, he was talking about those things in verse 6 as we were in our closing moments. How that the light, that lighteth the whole world, is already there for us to draw upon. And we who know the Lord can have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. All right, now then, verse 7. But even though this is such a magnificent knowledge and understanding, Yet God didn't see fit to put it in the hands of angels, he left it in the hands of mortal men. Paul was just as human as the rest of us, but it didn't stop with Paul. Other men came along, and as we've come down through human history, and even today, every one of us have the opportunity to share the Word with whoever might listen. And so, verse 7 says it all in that regard. We have this treasure. What treasure? The light of God. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, now he wasn't talking about a clay pot. What was he talking about? This body of flesh, see? Made up of the elements of the earth. And so, all of this that God has left for the human race is left in human instruments that the excellency of the power may be not of us, but of whom? Of God. See, man can never take the credit for anything. It all has to be of God or it's going to fall flat on its face. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians. It's been a long time since we've even been that far back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27, 28. 29 I have to remind myself of these verses constantly because I'm the first one to say, Who in the world am I? Why did God see fit to even use me? What little ways He does? Well, it's not because I'm somebody, it's because I'm a nobody. And that's where it has to be. Alright, verse 27. But God, see? God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised. See, that's what God uses. And those are the things God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not To bring to naught or to nothing the things that are. In other words, what's all this say? God uses that which mankind would never dream of using. And He uses it for His honor and His glory. Alright? And what's the purpose? In verse 29, just like it is back here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, the same concept. All of this is for the one purpose, that no flesh should glory in his presence no one not a dwight l moody not a finney not a charles wesley no one can ever glory that they accomplish something it's all of god or it is none of god all right back to second corinthians 4 now here i think you can get the mindset of the apostle as he is now writing having just gotten up from the sickbed in Philippi, actually thinking that his ministry had come to an end and that God for some reason was taking him off the scene. But he didn't. And he goes on now and look what he writes. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed? Why? My, he'd been doing so much. He had been set apart way back there in Damascus to go to the Gentiles. And he knew he hadn't finished the work. He knew that Christianity was still in its infancy. And it was being attacked from every direction imaginable. And so he says, yes, he was perplexed. And I think it's the same thing that we are today. Sometimes we're prone to ask, well, God, why? Why? But he has his own purposes, see? And so even though he was perplexed, he never gave up. He didn't say, oh, well, I'm throwing in the towel. It's, it's not you, worth it. All right? Verse 9, persecuted. Absolutely he was persecuted. He was driven from city to city, but not forsaken. The Lord promised him what? When he was in Corinth, he says, Paul, don't you run from the enemies. I have much people in this city. Speaking of Corinth. And so here again, he says, forsaken, not forsaken, cast down... Laid in a bed of sickness. Disappointment. Not having been able to meet up with Titus, who was, like Timothy, a part and part of his whole ministry. What a disappointment. And yet, he says, not destroyed. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think on first reading, most people just think he's making a reference that as Christ died, we died. Well, up to a point. But I think if you know the setting here, he had just gotten up from a sickbed that he thought was unto death. And so this is what he's making reference to. The fact that he was dying even in the midst of his service for the Lord and the life off of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. In other words, as he was lying on that sickbed, which I think we can assume was up there at Philippi, even though he thought that his, his ministry had ended... What was he confident of? That he had done as much as the Lord intended him to do. You know, I always have to think of how he wrote to Timothy, which of course was at the end of his ministry. Turn back with me to that. Second Timothy, probably the last of his epistles that were written before he was finally martyred. Second Timothy, chapter, him, uh, chapter 1, 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Oh goodness, there's so many here I hardly know where to begin. But beginning at verse nine, Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine, speaking of God in verse eight, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of what people? The Gentiles. Now verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Now what's he talking about? Well... Number one, who was his chief opposition? The Jew. Believing Jews as well as those still steeped in Judaism. But it wasn't the Jew alone. It was a satanic power from every direction. And so he says, I've suffered because Satan didn't want the gospel going to the Gentile world. Satan hated it bad enough that it was going to Israel throughout the Old Testament. But now to go to the masses of Gentiles, that was the last thing Satan wanted. And so he says, I've suffered for these things. Nevertheless, in spite of all, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Isn't that something? That in spite of all his difficulties, in all of his sickness, in all of his sorrow, in all of his suffering he never once doubted the God whom he served. He said, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And then verse 14, I, I'm going to make a comment. We'll be studying Timothy someday if the Lord cherries. I doubt if it will be that long, but he may. And that is verse 14. Same chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee now those of you who computers and everything and if you want to chase down an interesting the word translated here this good thing in the Greek is the deposit the deposit Timothy what I have deposited with you keep it now I think I shared this one of the classes here in Oklahoma this last week When you deposit something number one what do you look for security that right you don't want to put something someplace and get back next week and it's gone so number one whenever you deposit something you look for security secondly especially in our age of investments and so forth if you're going to make a good deposit what do you expect dividend interest a return see all right now the word means all of that Timothy Keep the deposit and let it earn dividends and interest. Don't just sit on it. Now, that goes back to when Jesus gave the talents back there in the Gospels. Did he want them to just go home and bury it? No. Go out and increase. See? See? And so, the same admonition, I think, is good for all of us. Well, I made comment on verse 15 in a previous program, and I've already had phone calls on that where uh, someone said, I never knew that verse was in my Bible. He said, it just shocked me when you were reading it on the program. He said, what did the apostle mean? I said, "He meant exactly what he said. That all those in Asia be turned away from me now you want to remember like I've got here on the map Greece was Europe Asia Minor was the Asia of the New Testament and here of course is where Paul had started umpteen churches you remember Thyatira and Pergamos and and uh, uh, Smyrna all these little towns here in Asia Minor and evidently they had already by the time he is martyred had turned away from his gospel in which way I don't know but what a heartache to think that he had spent so much and had poured out his life and yet those were the people that turned their back on him and of course I think the uh, results are evident none of those little cities are left anymore not a one of them many of the areas in Greece are still valid Philippi is still a valid seaport Athens is still valid Corinth is no longer the ancient city, but there's another city right next to it. And much of Greece refers to the journeys and so forth of Paul. But back there in western Turkey, nothing. It all faded off the scene. And I think that is the basic reason for it all. All right, come back to Second Corinthians now. And we'll just skim through these verses because they're all just decrying the fact that he had suffered so much To get the gospel to these gentiles verse 12 for example so then death worketh in us but life in you well what's he saying well as a result of him spending his physical life his physical energies to get the gospel to these pagans they were coming out of their pagan darkness they were coming out of their spiritual darkness into the joy and the life of the gospel, but his body was suffering the consequences. And I'm sure that the old fellow must have been racked with pain as he sat in prison in Rome waiting for the executioner's sword, because he'd been through so much all for the sake of the gospel. But, verse 13, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I what? Believe. See? Doesn't tell us anything else that he did, but he believed. Now oh, we were just talking about it at break time. Maybe it's a good time to rehearse this. Come back with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I know a lot of our folks were with me when we studied this, but a lot of you weren't. And remember, this is where you have that tremendous change of direction in the book of Acts. Up until this chapter, it's Peter and the 11 and Israel. And now all of a sudden, with just an exception in chapter 10, and Peter comes back on the scene momentarily, all the rest of the book of Acts covers this one man. And Peter is completely forgotten so far as the Acts account is concerned. But here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul of Tarsus, that great persecutor of Jewish believers. Now remember, he didn't go after Gentiles. There were none of them believing yet. But he was after the believing Jews who had supposedly followed the heresy that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And to this good Jew, Saul of Tarsus, nothing worse could have happened to Israel. And so he's trying to stamp it out by persecution, by imprisonment, by putting them to death. All right, read on. And as Saul was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he desired of him letters to Damascus. See, he's not satisfied any longer with just working the the small towns of Israel. Now he wants to go into Gentile territory and go to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that is, that Jesus was the Christ, that whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, from above. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Verse 5, and this is what I want you to see. We always make this point. And he said, Who art thou now? Here's where we have to be careful. All the way up through the Old Testament, the word Lord was used by the writers of Scripture, by the Jews in general in place of the name that they didn't even feel adequate to repeat. what was it? Jehovah. Jehovah. It was of such awe and such high esteem that the average Jew didn't even want to breathe it. And so what did they substitute? Lord. Now, all the way through the Old Testament, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's Jehovah. And the same way here, when Saul of Tarsus addresses God which he knows this light and voice is. In so many words, he says, Who art thou, Jehovah? Even though he didn't say it, he was thinking it. Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Jehovah? And how does Jehovah answer? I am Jesus. And it blew his mind. Imagine. Here he thought he was doing the work of Jehovah by stamping out the name of Jesus and then to suddenly realize that what he thought was his enemy was in reality the God of Abraham. See? Oh, what a transcending experience. And then he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? It didn't take him an hour to figure out who the Lord was. It didn't take him very long to understand who Jesus was. You know, I've shared on this program, a gentleman came to my home several years ago, and that was his first question. Who in the world is Jesus Christ? Oh, I wish more people would ask that question. Too many people don't know. People do not understand that Jesus Christ of the new is the Jehovah of the old, Jesus of the new is the God of Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. One and the same. The only difference was he, as we saw a few programs back, he manifested himself in the flesh. But it's the same God. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's the God of glory. He's the God of creation, see? Well, all right. Now then back to 2 Corinthians. And so this... This is where the Apostle is now after his years of taking the Gospel to the Gentiles and still having a heart, of course, for the nation of Israel. Alright, then we come down to verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 4. Knowing. Now, in the Greek, that's a much stronger word than it is in the English. Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by that same Jesus, and we shall be presented with you. In other words, Christ will present us to you, with you. All right, verse 15. For all things, everything that has happened to this man are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound or resound to whose glory? God's glory. Not Paul. We don't elevate Paul to glory. He was just a common human being like the rest of us that God saw fit to use. But everything was to bring glory to the God of heaven. All right, verse 16. I'd like to finish the chapter in this program if we can. For which cause? We faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is what? renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. They're earthly. They're not heavenly. But the things which are not seen, they're what? Eternal. Oh, listen, get the impact of that. The world today is only set on the temporal. What's in it for me? How can I enjoy life to the full? How can I make the most? How can I do this? And how can I do that? But listen, that's not where it's at. The Lord said back in His earthly ministry, what? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with things. The Bible doesn't condemn things, providing we have our priority strength. But if the believer gets hung up on things and more concerned about the temporal, then he loses the sight of the eternal. And don't be caught in that trap. Oh, especially as I feel we are in the closings, not moments, but seconds of this age. Now, I'm not a date setter. I will never do that. But I'll tell you what, the way I see the world rushing into the scenario that is going to be on the earth for the appearance of the antichrist it's coming it's coming so fast the more you see israel pushed tighter and tighter by the arab world till finally she gets to the place that either she'll do something rash and will precipitate which i do not think is going to happen because god's going to do it in his time not according to the arab world's turn but if Israel would be pushed to the corner to do something rash, which would be to use nuclear energy, and I don't think they haven't got it. They have. But the world is rushing, literally rushing, to the time when the man of sin will make his appearance and will finally bring a semblance of peace to the Middle East. That's what everybody's waiting for. And while they're waiting for peace to come to the Middle East... They're forgetting all about the admonitions that when you see these things come to pass, lift up your eyes, for our moment of redemption is coming near. And listen, the more you see technology explode, the more you see world politics move into a global format, the more you see global economics... The more you see the religions and the major denominations of the world coming in under one headship, and they're doing it, listen, then that tells us that time is short.
0: Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route One, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route One, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one. That's 1-800-369-7856 Remember, this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. Step into the world of power, loyalty.